0: KQED. This is Queued Up Storytelling with Heart. I'm John Sepulveda. I don't know about you, but when I think of nuclear power, no! I think of Homer Simpson. who would have thought a nuclear reactor would be so complicated. I think of Three Mile Island. I think of that house that gets blown away on those old army propaganda strips. And I think about this image. Environmentalists protesting, worried about the possibility of a nuclear meltdown at a California reactor, and still upset there is no way to guarantee safe storage of nuclear waste. Now, the common belief is that environmental groups hate nuclear power, right? Well, Heather Madison thought she did. That's how she was raised to think. But when she starts working in the bowels of a nuclear reactor, she begins questioning what she knows. Heather's story begins with one of the worst nuclear disasters in recent memory. This is Japan, 2011. A tsunami flooding the Fukushima nuclear power plant. I know you remember this. The power plant itself was on the brink of melting down, putting millions of people in danger. Now, Heather was all the way across the ocean, sitting inside the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant in California.
1: And The first time I saw the video of one of their plants
0: exploding, I was in the control room. And what happens in that control room? Well, Lauren Summer has the rest of the story.
2: As the Fukushima disaster unfolded, Heather was running the reactor inside Diablo Canyon, the only nuclear power plant still operating in California. We were all just, like, horrified. Across the Pacific in California, the tsunami was also a concern. Diablo Canaan sits right on the ocean. Heather and her co-workers were on high alert in case the water rose there, too. And our Plant Management was in there, lined up on the sides of the control room, watching us, you know, to make sure that we were doing the right things and sitting there, she couldn't stop imagining what the people inside the Japanese plant were doing to try to stop the meltdown. We're like, this is an operator's worst nightmare. Like, holy cow, I don't want to be that person. And I'm glad I'm not over there. And And this dredged up some deep-seated anxieties for Heather about nuclear power, things her family had said to her over and over about the risks. She comes from a family of environmentalists. I feel like there's these two pieces of me. My old conservationist,
1: environmentalist self, and then my new like, engineering degree, nuclear plant
2: operator self. In the world Heather grew up in, the world of her parents, being an environmentalist was being anti-nuclear. Stuff like this
1: is still in Arizona at my mom's house.
2: Heather's at her house in San Luis Obispo. We're flipping through her childhood photo album. In the pictures, she's a lanky-looking kid with blonde hair. very geeky. There's my pink glasses. (laughs) It's that middle school awkwardness, something she still has a little bit of. Heather was born in 1979, shortly after another fateful moment for nuclear power. Her mom had her right after Three Mile Island, where radiation leaked out of a nuclear plant in Pennsylvania. So she was pregnant at the time that it was happening, and she was hearing all the news. And
3: You know, I mean, I just thought, oh my gosh, what's the world coming to?
2: That's Heather's mom, Carol.
3: I can remember very distinctly being real upset by the fact that this had happened and glad that I wasn't near it.
2: Carol could only be with the protesters in spirit. The family lived thousands of miles away in a tiny Arizona community called Top of the World. It's on a remote mountain pass an hour outside of Phoenix. As a kid, Heather could spend hours exploring the wilderness around them without running into anyone else. There's one of my dad's tanks that he welded. They weren't hooked up to a water system, so they relied on her dad's back to the land sensibility. We were ice skating on this little pond that he built,
1: like so that we could collect water for irrigation. He made the concrete dam. Conservation and saving water was just their way of life. Like I didn't shave my legs. I didn't even know how to ask my parents to use water to shave my legs. Like it was like
2: some so ridiculous. Heather's that person that looks through other people's recycling bins to make sure everything has been sorted correctly. She moved to California to go to college in San Luis Obispo, engineering at Cal Poly. When she graduated, she was not looking to work at a nuclear power plant. So my first job out of college was manufacturing
1: rectal thermometers for cows. Kind of fun, but pretty monotonous. Like, we had an electronic cow that was like a box of resistors where we could plug the thermometer in.
2: (laughs) She didn't see much of a future in that. She had an engineering degree, but ended up working at a clothing store. She just wasn't seeing many opportunities for engineers. Except one. I was like, okay, the only thing is left is the power plant. Diablo Canyon. She knew it. She knew local environmentalists wanted it closed. What she didn't fully realize was what this one nuclear reactor meant to the entire environmental movement. It's where one of the fiercest battles was fought and lost against nuclear power. This crusade against nuclear, the one of Heather's mom's generation, is still going on for lots of people who live near Diablo Canyon. Linda Seely has never given up.
3: I always feel nervous here.
2: Linda meets me just outside Diablo Canyon at the front gate. You can't actually see the power plant from the road here. It's tucked away on a rocky piece of coastline far from view. What's in front of us is a security booth, barbed wire, and a big blue line that's painted across the pavement. The line says, no trespassing.
3: I've got my feet on the blue line right now. Um, It's a little edgy, I would say.
2: Linda is inching her sandaled foot across that line with a twinkle in her eye. She did the same thing in the early 1980s when Diablo Canyon was just about to open.
3: Pretend that there are maybe 2,000 people here right now. People have drums, and they have horns.
1: Powers, premeditated murder.
2: Protesters had come from around the country. They were filling the street, blocking the road. And on the other side of that blue line were the police, standing there,
3: waiting. And then, when you wanted to commit civil disobedience, you would
2: intentionally
3: walk across the blue line.
2: Which Linda did, and was dragged away, handcuffed, and carted off to jail, along with her daughter, who was 16 years old at the time.
3: Does she remember it fondly, or was she Oh wife? yeah, Okay. very much. It was a great formative thing. I would recommend it to any teenager.
2: Thousands were arrested, but the nuclear plant opened anyway. And ever since then, Linda has been fighting to shut it down with a group called Mothers for Peace.
3: To anybody who has any sense of the future, of, of wanting this culture, this civilization, this world to exist, a hundred, a 1, thousand years from now, could never, ever support nuclear power. Because there is, right out there, we've got tons of highly radioactive waste sitting
2: this is the environmental movement Heather grew up in, the one she knew. She was on the Mothers for Peace mailing list, even as she drove to her first day of work at the nuclear plant. It was like an alien city. Like I went
1: and it was completely dark. And um, so I come around this hill where the view of the plant comes up and it was just like all these lights and these huge concrete domes. And just like, it was, it was pretty intimidating and amazing.
2: Her family at home wasn't happy about the job. Um, My mom
1: and my aunt and uncle were all pretty nervous.
3: Well, I don't know how much I said. I remember thinking, I hope it won't affect her health.
2: But Heather wanted to make up her own mind
1: about nuclear. That I would learn as much as I could about whether I thought it was good or not. And then if I ever found
2: anything that was bad, you know, I would just leave or I would share it. Kind of like a whistleblower. That started during her first training session.
1: The whole time, I was like, what about this? And what about, how does this work? And what, how, what about this? And like, constant questioning. And all of my coworkers that were in class with me were pretty annoyed, <laughs> like Heather and her questioning,
2: making fun of me, like, a lot. But the more she learned, the more comfortable Heather started feeling about nuclear power. She dug into the safety protocols, the ways a disaster can be prevented. And she was good at her job, one of the only women there running the nuclear reactor. Heather started taking down the endangered species posters from her walls. The environmentalist in her went underground. I don't know, I feel like I lost that association for a while. In her mind, it was an unwritten rule. If she was going to be pro-nuclear, there was no way she could be pro-environment. was this.
0: If you look at the 10 hottest years ever measured, they've all occurred in the last 14 years.
2: Al Gore released his movie An Inconvenient Truth. The climate movement had its coming out party. And that very public focus on climate change forced Heather's two worlds together in a way she didn't see coming.
0: Our ability to live is what is at stake.
2: Gore's argument is that to avoid the worst of climate change, we have to move away from fossil fuels, like coal and natural gas that produce greenhouse gases. That leaves renewable energy, like solar and wind power. I think it's an awesome idea that we can get energy
1: from the sun. I mean, that's a pretty amazing concept. But there's a but. People don't realize oh, that um, solar and wind only make power when the sun's out and the
2: wind's blowing. You need another power source to fill in those gaps. That could be big batteries to store solar power during the day and then use it at night. But right now, they're expensive. Heather knew there was another option. Nuclear power doesn't create greenhouse gases like fossil fuels do. The more she thought about it, the more she started seeing nuclear as a solution to climate change. And suddenly, those two parts of herself, the environmentalists and the nuclear side, weren't fighting anymore.
1: And it's like, all of a sudden, I realized that they're the same thing, you know, in a really strong way.
2: The puzzle pieces fit for the first time. And she was excited to share that with people around her. When a local environmental group was meeting downtown, she tried to get her coworkers at the nuclear plant to go with her.
1: I was like, hey guys, this is our chance to go there and show them that nuclear power could be the solution to what they care about they were, they care about climate change. I was like, we can go and we can show them, like this is the answer.
2: Her coworkers didn't want any part of it.
1: And people just like attacked me. They're like anti-climate change, you know, like and it was, it was very sad and
2: and lonely. By trying to be part of both worlds, nuclear and environmental, suddenly Heather didn't belong in either. She'd wandered into a rift that was much bigger than one power plant. Nuclear power is going through an identity crisis of sorts. Because of climate change, environmentalists are being forced to reconsider this thing they've hated, something the movement was founded on. On the other side, the nuclear industry is in trouble. Almost no new nuclear plants have been built in the U.S. in the last 30 years. And because they're expensive to run, others are looking at shutting down early, including Diablo Canyon. Heather had been hearing, first in whispers, then in hallway conversations, that PG&E, the utility that owns Diablo, was thinking of shutting it down too. Heather was worried about losing her job, but it was more than that. Losing Diablo for her meant losing one of the best solutions for solving climate change. She decided she had to speak up. Yeah, it's the right thing.
1: Like someone has to do it, and if no one is doing it, then I have to do it.
2: She had no idea where to begin. Yeah, so a
1: lot of self-doubt and uh, confidence issues where, like, I've, I've been an operator for 12 years. I don't have any media training. I don't have any public speaking training.
2: Those doubts weren't just in her head. She was hearing it from people around her, like her mom.
3: Well, I have to admire her for being willing to do that. I hope it doesn't backfire on her in any way. I do have concerns like that
2: because, I mean, she's my daughter. Being a leader, that person out in front, was scary. Maybe I could be that. And it still feels
1: intimidating to think that I could be that. Like, my husband told me a while ago, he's like, well, that's kind of conceited of you to think that you could actually have a difference that big on any, like, (laughs) and I'm like, I know, but, like, you have to try. (laughs)
2: So, she's trying. Do you want tea? Heather's friend Ben is in her kitchen playing with her daughter Zoe. (laughs) That's Zoe. She's running around in a skunk costume she wore for Halloween.
0: I I, I had a balloon, but somebody took my balloon.
2: Heather knows if she's going to convince people about nuclear power and even save Diablo Canyon from closing, she has to get out there and lobby people environmentalists, maybe legislators. So she's decided to practice on Ben. He's her friend. And he's a nuclear skeptic. Did you know about much about nuclear before you moved to San Luis?
0: Um, I did a little bit. Actually, it's funny. I did a report when I was in, in like fourth grade or fifth grade or something on nuclear waste disposal.
2: Heather clenches her lips a little, maybe gathering up her nerve.
0: You know, the fact that we don't have a place to deal with this, I, to me, seems like the biggest issue. I
2: think there should be an
1: easy solution for generating 2,400 megawatts of I, power. I, I, like, I... No, I'm... It's I'm, not going to be I'm, easy. No, no, of
0: course not. And I'm not I'm not saying it should be easy, but it seems to me like, I don't know, the the data person in me thinks like before we started generating all of this waste, we should have had a plan of how to deal with it.
1: You want to know what I think about the waste? Sure. I think it's the best kind of waste. Okay. I think it is contained in such a small area that can be isolated in a way that it doesn't ever affect anyone. And that's really amazing compared to fossil fuels that generate this widespread pollution that goes into the air that we all have to
2: breathe. What Heather and Ben are talking about is the heart of this entire debate. The problems that made environmentalists protest nuclear in the first place are still problems. Nuclear disasters do happen. The waste stays radioactive for millennia, and right now there's nowhere to store it in the U.S. But greenhouse gases are also waste, and climate change could have devastating impacts across the globe, affecting millions of people. Some people say that we'll need both renewables and nuclear if the world is going to avoid that. So how do you weigh those two things? That old environmental movement is running headlong into today's problems. It's messy, and there aren't any easy answers. By the time Heather is done talking, Ben seems a lot more open to the idea of keeping Diablo Canyon running.
0: The, the, the politics required to build a new plant in this country are effectively insurmountable. But we have this thing. We already built it.
2: Heather seems relieved. Most conversations don't go this well. It's... Usually that whatever they think at the beginning is what they're always going to think. After the morning with Ben, Heather was feeling encouraged. And that little practice session, it was about to come in handy.
0: I will now turn the call over to Tim.
2: Just a few months later, PG&E held a press conference.
0: Thank you for joining us on uh, relatively brief notice. That's uh, PG&E's
2: we'll CEO, Tony Early. And he's about to make a big announcement uh, about Diablo Canyon.
0: Uh, the proposal uh, reflects... California's changing energy landscape. The agreement would increase our investment in energy efficiency and renewable energy, and phase out PG&E's production of nuclear power by the year 2025.
2: Phase out nuclear power. That means PG&E wants to close Diablo.
1: My co-worker, who sits the cubicle over, is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh.
2: And I was like, what, what? Heather was at work that morning, when an all-staff email went out announcing the decision.
1: So I pretty quickly went down to um, the area where our group normally gets together for daily meetings. Everyone was hanging out down there, and some of them were crying. I don't know if it's even completely sunken in for me. Like, I always imagined that I would retire from this plant.
2: But there was something more profoundly upsetting about the whole situation for Heather. The whole reason PG&E says it needs to close Diablo is because it's trying to do the right thing about climate change. It's relying more on renewables. So it just doesn't need Diablo anymore. The big catchphrase is Diablo will be replaced with renewables, and that's simply not true. She's kind of right. PGE says when the sun goes down and the wind stops blowing, for now, it will need fossil fuels to power the state. But it says those days will be numbered as battery storage gets better and we all get better at saving energy. And this decision to move away from nuclear and focus more on renewables like solar and wind, Heather knew this was signaling something more.
1: We might not be able to change the future of Diablo Canyon, but this is really meant to be
2: about the future of nuclear everywhere. Saving nuclear power everywhere. That's a much bigger message. So Heather knew she had to reach for a much bigger stage. She starts going to national meetings, conferences, even to Washington, D.C. to talk to Congress. And she finds other pro-nuclear environmentalists to work with. At a conference in Sacramento, there are lawmakers, policy people, scientists, all discussing how California should handle climate change. Heather has been here all day, and at this point, she feels like crying. That was honestly one of the most depressing things that I've done in the last year. As the conference went on, she found herself getting more and more frustrated.
1: Because I picture all of those people as being like my people, my crowd, that care all about the right things, the environment, climate change. But what are we gonna actually do about it? And that needs to be nuclear. It has to be a really large part of that conversation, and no one wanted to have it.
2: Finally, she was listening to a panel discussion about how to cut oil use. And sitting in the audience, she couldn't keep quiet.
1: And I said, go nuclear, like, to the whole audience. But the speakers on the panel, they heard, no nuclear. (laughs) So I had to repeat myself, like, yelling to the whole room full of people, no, go nuclear. And they proceeded to like, well, that's never going to happen, at least in California, and just like on and on. And I think they were all just horrified.
2: And (laughs) this doesn't surprise Heather. It's been happening to her a lot. She knows nuclear is dead on arrival for a lot of people. She knows she may never convince environmentalists or PG&E or her own family about it. And she may never really belong in any room she's in. It's still hard. But one thing has changed for her.
1: Now I'm just like, let me at every possible audience that I can get.
2: That person, who was scared to speak up, is now shouting from the back of the room to hundreds of people. And she's not giving up.
0: The nuclear option is reported and produced by Lauren Summer. We had audio engineering from Paul Landcore. You can subscribe to Cued Up wherever you get your podcasts. And if that's on iTunes, hey, give us a review already. You've been listening to Queued Up, storytelling with heart. I'm John Sepulveda.